This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky said 4.5 million of his countrymen were without power as Russia continued to bomb Ukrainian energy infrastructure. Mr. Zelensky accused the Kremlin of energy terrorism. Meanwhile, reports emerged that Russian forces were preparing to retreat from Kherson City to the east bank of the Dnieper River. Ukrainian officials warned that could be a trap. Twitter will begin culling staff on Friday, according to an internal memo. Reports suggest perhaps half the firm's 7,500 employees could be sacked. Meanwhile, more firms pulled adverts from the site as they wait to see whether Elon Musk, Twitter's new boss, will turn a blind eye to unsavoury posts. General Mills, a cereal maker, Pfizer, a drugs firm, and Audi, a car maker, were the latest pullouts. Xi Jinping, China's president, began talks with Olaf Scholz, his German counterpart, by calling for greater cooperation between the countries, amid times of change and turmoil. Mr. Schultz is a first leader from the West to visit China since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The pair are expected to discuss trade, the war in Ukraine and climate change. Stocks across Asia rose amid reports that China might relax its stringent COVID-19 rules in early 2023. Rumours emerged that a former head of China's Disease Prevention Commission said that the border with Hong Kong could open early next year, with further reopening to follow. Hong Kong-listed stocks were up by around 6% on Friday, with those in Shanghai rising by over 2%. Revenues plummeted at Coinbase, America's biggest crypto exchange, as traders shunned cryptocurrencies. The firm earned $590 million in the quarter ending in September, less than half of what it raked in during the same period last year. Trading volumes fell by 27%. Cryptocurrencies have yet to recover following a market crash earlier this year. Protests broke out across Pakistan after Imran Khan, the former Prime Minister, was shot in the leg while leading a rally. Mr Khan is out of danger. He has been calling for snap elections following his ousting from power in April. The gunman said he acted alone, but leaders from Mr Khan's party suspect someone linked to Shabazz Sharif's government may have been behind the attempted assassination. Yair Lapid, Israel's Prime Minister, conceded defeat in parliamentary elections to Benjamin Netanyahu, clearing the way for Mr Netanyahu to reclaim his old job. Mr Netanyahu's religious and right-wing coalition appears to have won 64 of 120 seats in Parliament. Mr Lapid's bloc took 51. An unaffiliated Arab party claimed the rest. To form a government, Mr Netanyahu will need the support of Itamar Ben-Gvir's far-right religious party, which until recently was a political pariah. And fact of the day. $255 billion. The combined value of exports and imports between China and Germany last year. Five times the figure in 2005. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. America's job market comes off the boil. After a sizzling run, the labor market in America may finally be cooling down. Figures due out on Friday are expected to show that the economy added about 190,000 jobs in October, 
the fewest since the end of 2020. That would be the third straight monthly decline in job creation, a trend that may intensify as higher interest rates weigh on business activity. On November 2nd, the Federal Reserve delivered yet another jumbo rate rise. President Joe Biden and the Democrats would prefer to see a stronger jobs report ahead of the midterm elections on November 8th, but for investors and the Fed itself, signs of weakness are welcome. In recent months, wages have risen quickly as companies struggle to fill vacancies, adding upward pressure to inflation. The challenge for the Fed is to bring about a softening in labor demand without provoking a sharp rise in unemployment. So far, it has managed that. But economic headwinds are mounting. Disunited Russia On Friday, Russia celebrates Unity Day, a national holiday commemorating Moscow's liberation from Polish invaders in 1612. President Vladimir Putin traditionally lays flowers at a statue in the Red Square, lionizing the rebellion's commanders. That symbolism also chimes with his rhetoric about Ukraine, where he casts the war as an unavoidable existential battle against the West. In truth, to invade Ukraine was a choice made by Mr. Putin. On Monday, he claimed that the partial mobilization of troops to Ukraine was complete, but recruitment could restart at his whim. Some Russians should be more concerned than others. Studies suggest that the conscription drive disproportionately affected poorer parts of the country. Many recruits also come from places with large ethnic minority populations, like Dagestan, a Muslim-majority republic in the south, and Buryatia, an ethnic Mongolian region in the east. Although Mr. Putin preaches national unity, not all Russians are treated equally. The Pope's Visit to Bahrain On Friday in Bahrain, Pope Francis will meet a group of Islamic leaders known as the Muslim Council of Elders. His four-day trip, the first papal visit to the country, revolves around the Bahrain Forum for Dialogue through which the island host hopes to promote interfaith cooperation as well as exhibit its own religious tolerance. Unlike some of its neighbors, Bahrain has been fairly open to non-Muslim worship. Its 80,000 Catholics, most of them migrant workers, have several churches. There are Hindu temples and a synagogue. The state is less tolerant with its own citizens. An oppressed Shia majority complain of discrimination by the Sunni monarchy. They are denied some government jobs and their towns are neglected. Inequality led to a Shia uprising in 2011, which was crushed with help from other Gulf states. Prominent opposition figures are still in jail or exiled. They are calling on the Pope to use his visit to urge dialogue not just between religious leaders, but between Bahrainis. A Climate Clash for Sunak Britain's King Charles will host a hastily organized bash at Buckingham Palace on Friday. The reception is a warm-up for COP27, the United Nations Climate Summit, which begins in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt on Sunday. 
Alongside foreign dignitaries, such as America's climate envoy John Kerry, will be British politicians. That could be awkward. In her few weeks as Prime Minister, Liz Truss advised the new king, a stalwart climate campaigner, not to attend COP. Rishi Sunak, her successor, held this line. He also declined to go to Egypt himself, only to change his mind after widespread criticism. This is embarrassing for Mr. Sunak. It exposes divergent priorities not only with the king, but also with Boris Johnson, another predecessor, who gladly accepted an invitation to COP, having hosted the previous summit. And it raises questions about whether Mr. Sunak will keep Mr. Johnson's ambitious climate promises. His appearance at COP27 will not alter the conversation, but his handling of the affair shows a poor understanding of public mood. Weird Al Yankovic's Irreplicable Success With his big sunglasses, mustache, and accordion, Alfred Yankovic often heard that he was weird. Thus, in 1979, when he recorded his first hit single, My Bologna, a parody of the Knack's My Sharona, he used the nickname Weird Al. He has since sold over 12 million albums and won five Grammy Awards, including, in 2015, the Best Comedy Album for Mandatory Fun. Despite competition on social media, Mr. Yankovic is still the king of musical comedy. He recently played a sold-out show at Carnegie Hall in New York. On Friday, a biopic, Weird, the Al Yankovic Story, written by Mr. Yankovic and starring Daniel Ratcliffe, is released on Roku, a streaming service. Fittingly, the film has twisted the facts of his life to spoof the Hollywood genre. Yet Mr. Yankovic insists there are nuggets of truth, such as when his character says the key to happiness is to be as weird as you want to be. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday The Newton is the SI unit for what property? Thursday Which film noir released in 1941 and starring Humphrey Bogart was based on a novel by Dashiell Hammett? The winners of last week's crossword Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Chin Siu Lo, Singapore, North America, Sarah Kem, Carbondale, United States, Central and South America, Diego Romero, Buenos Aires, Argentina, Europe, Julia Bulls, Cluj Napoca, Romania, Africa, Christine Ryder, Tunis, Tunisia, Oceania, James Kelly, Sydney, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of tuberculosis, tweets, China, and sector. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword.
finally, here's the quote of the day from Chankutala Devi, who was born on this day in 1929. Without mathematics, there's nothing you can do. Everything around you is mathematics. Everything around you is numbers. That's the world in brief from The Economist. Available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.